in a land where two people talk to one of their fathers about being a mime, becoming successful in business, and life, and love. I have to say, this is one of my favorite podcasts. Aw, that's so nice. Yes, it was a pleasure to get this opportunity to sit down with your father and have a conversation. That it was real? Yeah, I mean, not, not that our conversations aren't, you know, usually real. More real than a typical conversation, I'd say. But just to, you know, I don't think too many people get the uh, the opportunity to have this format of a discussion with their significant other's parent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, or or let alone your own parent. Yeah, I think that I I've realized as I grow up that I've had way more conversations of this nature with my parents than the average person has with their parents, and it seems like such a shame. Okay, well, so today we have my dad on the podcast, and in addition to being my dad, he's also genuinely one of the most interesting people (laughs) I know. Uh, He's had an amazing ride in life and um everybody who meets him really just thinks of him as such an inspiration um the last i don't know a couple decades of his life have been spent um being i don't know a successful business man entrepreneur but a big part of that is that he does a lot of um public speaking and and inspiring he's basically a professional inspirer and i think that that definitely comes through absolutely i also think that this particular episode is full of quote worthy moments definitely i'm sure it'll be displayed yeah beautifully if you don't already please go check out our instagram page at occasionally interesting lots of good nuggets there or website www.occasionallyinteresting.com and hit that Amazon button at the top right corner if you're doing your morning shopping and we will get a slice of the pie and cost you nothing. Any time of the day, guys. Any time of the day. Nighttime shopping, your evening. Yes. Oh, uh, so Trevor actually just finished his breaking his bread. We are recording this intro a little later in the day than we usually do. Or Trevor started baking his bread earlier than he usually does. I'm not sure. So for those of you following along on the bread adventures... Uh, it's not it's not happening live, but we haven't eaten However, it yet. We could take a bite live. And I do say that the, the progress curve is continuing upwards, and I think this is our most beautiful loaf yet. So if you have been following, check out for the latest bread news. This is actually, this episode with my dad was recorded uh, right after Christmas, which is when Trevor made his very first loaf of bread. Do we have pictures of that? I don't think we have pictures oh, of it. I know, that's shame. a shame. But um, we do have, we talk about it in the podcast. I mean, we reference it, not directly, but I think me and my dad are talking about how, how great it is to fail and how every failure is a learning opportunity. That first loaf was amazing, but uh, Trevor wasn't quite as happy with it as the rest of the family was. And you hear um, me and my dad. As much as Jen was. The rest of the family. What? My dad talks about how good it was on this, yeah. on this podcast, I think. <laughs> no. It was probably undercooked. It probably... It wasn't the utter perfection that you're coming out with now, but for somebody's very first loaf of bread, I think it may have been the very best first loaf of bread anyone's ever baked in the history of bed breaking, bread baking. No, it's, it's, those are kind words. They're true words. You've I'll been a champion it. from day one, my koala. I told you. What'd you tell me? I'd be a champion from day one. And you can be perfect at something <laughs> day one. I was right. Okay, but listen to this podcast to explain. Jen and her father were wrong. 
uh, we really get into failure makes you a failure. This is the, the opposite whole of what this episode is, is about. Is, is just terrible, terribly wrong. No, it's inspirational. They're absolutely one hundred percent correct. <laughs> I just happen to be really good at baking bread. What can I say? <laughs> Check out the Instagram feed to see how right I am. <laughs> That's true. I mean, yeah. Okay. So on another point, though, we're talking about how wrong I am. I just want to say, before we get angry comments, I meant I did not mean Richard Branson. I meant Warren Buffett. <laughs> correct. Yes, that's right correct. This time? Okay. Um. Also, uh, I we we again in this episode we make reference to other podcast episodes that have not been released yet. So just another reminder that we are releasing these not in the same order in which they were recorded. So get over it. <laughs> Thanks. Um. Anyway, so in this episode we talk about a lot of awesome stuff. My dad had just celebrated uh his forty year wedding anniversary with my mom. Um. Uh, Shit, that's what that was. Uh, yeah, that's that's who that lady was who was hanging out with us. I thought it was <laughs> something witty. <laughs> Good job, Benny. Um, we recorded this right after Christmas when we had been traveling around Australia and New Zealand with my parents and brother for a month. Um, and so that was a, a really cool trip. Um, we have like no photos of us with my dad because my dad was taking all the photos oh that's a perfect segue into uh in addition to all of my dad's many accolades a couple years ago i introduced him to instagram and created a monster a a very creative beautiful monster um he takes amazing photos uh he's on instagram as mango blue underscore kev that will be in the episode notes on our website um, and on Instagram and definitely worth checking else. out. Really fantastic photographer. Yeah. Um, sorry that I sound a little sick right now. We are in Thailand and it is crazy here, guys. Let's tell the rest of the world about this because we had no idea before moving to Thailand. Yes, all these. Bastard expats are like, eh, smoky season. It's just smoky, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fucking smoky. They, not just smoky. It's the AQI, which is the uh, air quality index, is at a five hundred. Five hundred fifty. Five fifty for our little slice of heaven up I here. I mean, in for reference, I think you know, like New York City is maybe like twenty three or something. Yes. This is pollution and whatever. So Pi, at least a couple times in the last week, this tiny, beautiful, rural, hippie mountain town where we reside has been at the number one spot for most polluted place in the entire world a couple times in the last week. Bombarded by, we should post some, maybe Rachel's pictures of the fires burning at night. Didn't you take one last night? Yeah, we're too far away. It just looks like tiny nonsense um so it is they've been doing this as far back as anyone can remember in thailand and surrounding Before countries time itself um burning burning their fields um we've heard a bunch of different theories on this by now uh we just heard the other night from our friend josh shout out josh uh woo woo uh that <laughs> that was a beautiful shout out that the reason they do it is because 
gourmet mushrooms grow out of the burn and and they sell these gourmet mushrooms to china for very high prices and make a lot of money doing that but so you're doing huge huge patches of controlled burns i mean just so much stuff on fire it's worse than california when they're having non-controlled burns uh it's just the mountainsides are literally on fire and it's not just Thailand, it's Vietnam, it's Myanmar. So, and, and apparently, from what I've heard, they also burn trash as well. Yeah. Which makes the whole thing far more disconcerting when you see the clouds of fogs that limit your visibility to like 100 yards. Yeah. So, I've been sick for, I, mean, I guess, pretty seriously sick for about a week. And our beautiful little puppy chewy has also been sick again for um, about a week we took him to the vet and we're probably going to take him again because he is just down for the count i mean we when we took him to the vet a couple days ago she said lots of dogs are coming in right now like this he just is wheezing a bit and is really really tired and it's just crazy um i don't know what to do about this i mean it'd be really great to actually institute change but um we we've also been hearing again from our friend josh that uh the people are now really starting to want to take more action and are voting for politicians where this is like a major ballot item but they've been trying to ban these yeah, fires every year for they years, say that there's going to be arrests there's going to be massive fines placed placed on anybody that's doing the burning and but the thing is it's all happening rurally like on mountaintops yeah, and whatnot so no far away from police and then you know after the people light the fires it's not like they're sticking around and standing right next to it so it's hard to know who to arrest or do anything so this episode with my dad Hear the story about how he went from being a mime to ultra-successful businessman. His theories on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, one of our favorite topics, me and Trevor, that we like to explore, that we explored on last week's episode with AJ, episode 6. Please check that out if you haven't already. That was really incredible about um, post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress. And my dad also has a really interesting take on this. He, when he was growing up um, at a young age, I think 11 to 13, within the span of two years, so many of his family members died. Um, his dad, his grandfather, his uncle, his sister, um, all, all really close together in time. And yet my dad is one of the most happy life go-getter people anyone has ever met i mean just that is the first thing you notice about him i think um and so so we explore how he did that um how he was able to dive into post-traumatic growth and we also talk about yeah briefly i don't think we get into it too much but my dad was a professional mime in his 20s i think you we mentioned that on uh episode two with jen and james where james has no idea what a mime is (laughs) uh he's like who is what is this going on with your dad was a mime yet he has morals this makes no sense (laughs) (laughs) those vicious mimes out there (laughs) i forgot about that yes um 
So we, you hear about a little bit about my dad. How her father could have became a mime with mur- morals and maybe murals. Nice. Uh, about how my dad, <laughs> my dad's time as a mime and how that transitioned and supports his time as a entrepreneur in business. Um, let's see. As <laughs> opposed to the entrepreneur. I don't know. I was in- just... Trying to think, Bar are there other things standing. that people can be entrepreneurs in? Is, it, is entrepreneur exclusive it's to business? Exclusive. That's a good question. I only really ever hear it in that. But we want to hear your thoughts, listeners. Yeah, um, yeah. For the few of you who have reached out and actually told me about specific things and episodes that you've liked or listened to, yeah, that has out. been Eric. Even though you were wrong, you know, it's a cool, <laughs> cool that you're engaging. I like it. Who else? Who's Eric? the libertarian oh oh yeah i totally yeah my ex-boyfriend got into a big argument with trevor thanks for that Eric. no really that was that was Great. awesome was, i didn't was, he brought up good I didn't points pay attention to your conversation at all he was, he was a little short-sighted but <laughs> oh damn no he brought up good points eric please come on the podcast a, when eric, a well-formulated argument we told he told us he was going to come on uh when we first uh we're starting out this podcast. He he gave us some audio engineering advice. I don't really remember what that was, but that was very nice of him to help us with the the initial setup. And uh, thanks for listening, bud. Now come on the podcast. He said he's afraid to do to to argue with you. I guess I was like, come on the podcast and argue. And he was like, that sounds terrifying. But now if we publicly shame him, that should inspire him. No, I'd really love to have him on. Shout out to Eric. It's <laughs> nice that he engaged. <laughs> that um, yeah anyway friends strangers keep it up that like uh yeah that really makes us feel like <laughs> anyone is listening it's really it's just really, been really cool whenever somebody's mentioned a specific thing thanks guys um let's see oh okay wait i started to say something and then i like didn't get into it at all my dad just celebrated his 40-year wedding anniversary with my mom and their relationship has always been a major point of inspiration and awesomeness and just a fucking delight to grow up with and definitely uh, laid the groundwork for me meeting this guy here to and being able to create something awesome and not crazy. <laughs> so uh, we talked with my dad about uh his relationship um his insights and advice after 40 years of marriage and 43 years together um with my mom and how he keeps it keeps it awesome and um talks about the potential pitfalls that other couples may fall prey to so if you want to hear some awesome insights from a guy who's doing it right for many many decades then then tune in because uh yeah my parents are are pretty cool and definitely again anybody who uh who who meets them or takes a look at their relationship is always amazed and impressed so please check out this episode with my dad kevin o'connor amazing dad amazing husband to my mom amazing business entrepreneur (laughs) um former mime who still keeps you know, the performing arts near and dear to his heart. Amazing photographer. Amazing photographer. Um, lover of Van Morrison. I asked my dad, 
what do you want to promote? And he was like, Van Morrison. <laughs> that's well, serious. That's how this episode ends. I was like, anything that you want people to uh, check out from you or anybody else? And he was like, listen to Van Morrison. That's obvious. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> I think he would very much appreciate that being a major part of his introduction. Oh, rock star musician. We don't get into that at all. Oh, do you remember that? I, I was telling... thinking how nice it would be if you could have recorded like some musical i'll see if he has anything like right now uh i'll get in touch with him um i wonder if he has all right well definitely check out my dad on instagram again that's mango blue underscore kev and i'll see if i can get some harmonica playing Without further ado, we bring you Kevin O'Connor. Occasionally interesting, occasionally interesting, they are occasionally interesting. Let's do an improv theme song for him. Ready? Um... Occasionally interesting is a new podcast. We talked to my dad about weird stuff. It's gonna be real fun. He's gonna say some stuff. And he used to be a mime. Oh my goodness. That will go over well. That will go over well. Nailed it. Nailed it. I'm probably gonna have to change the batteries at some point in the middle. But in the meantime, all right. So today we have a very, very special guest. None other than my father, the man who created this bundle of joy, Kevin O'Connor. Welcome, Kevin. Hello, bundle of joy. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Another bundle of joy. Hello. You've had great success in business and leadership. What philosophies and practice of yours have set you apart? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I would say that the thing that I don't know if it sets me apart, but the philosophy I follow is really one of that authenticity and engaging your customer. In my case, customer in my life has been on the stage and so an audience and I'm trying to give them who you are and insight into yourself. Um, but, but also the same thing in business. And that is, you know, particularly in my business of working with independent entrepreneurs is they want to have a feeling of, can I do it? Is it possible for me? And so trying to make that as simple and as a, um, approachable as possible, I think is a, one of the things that I've really learned. Yeah, I think you definitely have always embodied the attitude very much of the, you know, what's sometimes classified as a millennial attitude of just, I, I can absolutely do anything that I set my mind to. And you live that out and you prove to be true with great frequency. 
Indeed. Thank you. But it, it, it is not just a millennial attitude. That same idea has been... Well, it was in, your generation that raised us millennials with that attitude. Well, that, that and of course, if you go back, you know, way back in history, you'll find that leadership is, you know, the, the, the modern way to sum it up is that uh, it's the... What is the term? It, 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 it's the people who think they can end up doing it, you know. And whether that was, you know, Einstein or that was Caesar, that or Kevin O'Connor, or Kevin O'Connor, a much more minor form, mind you. No, uh, <laughs> is you know that 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 process has always been true. You know, those who you know, want to change the world, are, are crazy enough to think they can change the world and want to do. Absolutely. I like the connection that you drew between, like, the the genuineness that's required for the performing arts and then how that translates into a business perspective. Anything else you have to say on that? <laughs> I mean, we can segue into uh, that. We've, we've already interviewed your former mime partner, Bill Mettler, my soulmate, um, and so it seems reasonable that you should delve into it a little bit, how you, your time in Innovative Mind Theater. Innovative Mind Theater. 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 The theater, the theater. What's <laughs> happened to the theater? <laughs> All right. Denny K. Or Jenny K. People often confuse us. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we, so I, I, early on in my life, in my early 20s, I, fell in love with the art form of mime and had the opportunity to finish my college degree in Europe studying mime, theater, circus arts, etc. Um, and although on the surface it might seem something like clowning or mime um, is anything but authentic because you're creating an artificial world, the reality is that in any art form, whether it's on the stage, whether it's painting, whether it's music, it's that ability to reach into your own soul that you touch other people's soul. And so even if you have this artifice of the stage and props or whatever it may be, you know, the, the great performers in the world have been people who have been able to, to take you into a journey into yourself because they've taken you into a journey of themselves. And that's where the authenticity comes. Um, in business, there are tons of people who are inauthentic and make boatloads of money. So you can do all of that as well. Yeah, but I feel, I know that you've had so much success because other people who have had success in their own independent entrepreneurial careers have sought you out specifically because they've heard tales of Kevin the benevolent, the, the guy <laughs> Kevin, who, Kevin the benevolent. who genuinely cares <laughs> about the people who he works with and will absolutely... I'll, you know. I'll, I'll take that title. I like that. <laughs> um, makes it sound like a really kind dictator, which of course I'm not. But <laughs> <laughs> Kevin the benevolent. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think at the end of the day, people can smell a phone and, you know, um, maybe not at first, as we've seen in our recent political life, but you know we can generally, you know, we can buy into a bunch of BS. But for the most part, 
most people will eventually move away from it and and demand um you know there there's always been the saying of fake it till you make it and i know you know that's i heard that i actually bought into it for a little while and then i realized that people can't relate to that at all that if you if you are embrace the fact that there is if you're going to be in business and have a goal and you're going to have um vision um that that has to be grounded in something that I don't think that fake it till you make it is necessarily the opposite of being grounded in something. I totally believe and embrace fake it till you make it. I think that's how my entire career has happened. I mean, I got into hand lettering by lying my way in. My first job out of college, they were looking for a graphic designer and I was like, I can do that. And they were like, and we need you to be very good at hand lettering and chalk art. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I've totally done that before, which I had not, but uh I had so some grounding in great, great, being an artist. And, 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 and so great comment, Jen. But I, I would go back to that it was probably your authenticity and your belief that came through, even though you were, you know, supposedly uh, yeah. faking it. What I'm talking about is, uh, you know, I work in the world of network marketing, level marketing, where most people start out part time. They have big goals and big dreams and. Um, you know, sometimes they get told that, you know, you can fake it till you make it, you know, uh, take a picture next to a Mercedes when you can oh. barely afford the Volkswagen. Right. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I that think this worked is something way that's back when. Definitely set you apart from your competitors. Well, and not only that, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different time. And, and so my point in all that is regardless, whatever business that you're in as an entrepreneur, I think. People are looking for, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. In fact, you know, the, you, the, the reality is that there is, I can't think of anybody in the history of anything who didn't, you know. Um, you're not going to get good bread until you fail a couple times. You're not going to get good bread. You're not going to make good bread. So you're admitting that the bread <laughs> was not good. <laughs> no, I thought the bread was great. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. that but, was a good. That was but, a good. But, but you know, the, the the reality of the situation is that if the the only people who don't make mistakes are the people who just sit there saying, "I'm afraid to make a mistake." Absolutely. Only, yeah, and so mistakes are a absolute sign of progress. Um, embrace it, get it over with. One of the great lessons that I learned early on from a mentor is that uh, that. Every obstacle contains its equivalent opportunity. Absolutely. And so when he said, so once you understand that fully, what you really want is as many obstacles to fall on your path as you possibly get as quickly as you can to get through it so that you're moving as quickly as you can towards progress. Um, And, you know, when you're, particularly if you're innovating anything um, that hasn't been done before, then... You you're, you have to make mistakes because there is no path. And one of my favorite quotes in the world is, um, "Everything is difficult until it's easy." Goethe, famous philosopher. Every, it's when you when you get that in your soul, then everything becomes easy because you understand that there is that is the nature of everything. It's always easy until I mean it's always difficult until it's not. Riding a bike was difficult until you stopped falling on your butt and you were able to ride it. And that same path takes over again and again and again. I 
think, uh, I mean, you've raised two fairly fearless children in comparison to our our peers, I think, uh, by living that example yourself, both you and mom, but also uh, in how you communicated with us about our obstacles and failures and definitely, you know, I mean, I, I think often about what a what a good impact it was in, in, in high school and in college where I where you always encouraged me as much as you could, both of you, to not necessarily be after the A, but to be after what would teach me the best lessons and be learning, even if it would be something harder for me, whether that was like science in high school or that sewing class in college, that those were going to be the things where I learned the most and that that was going to matter in life more than a 4.0. And I don't think, yeah, I think that's kind of an unusual viewpoint for parents of perfectionists anyway for parents of high achieving children to really uh not make failure or being less than perfect ever be a scary thing but i mean it's definitely something i think i'm one of the least afraid of failing people i know other than you <laughs> we we practice it all the time well you know as, as you're saying all that i recall that when i I really struggled with math. I just, you know, to the point I'm talking about as a kid, student, grade school and high school. Um, and so I developed the practice of saying, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. And as I became, you know, became more aware of the principles of business and success, uh, I realized that that every time you make that statement, it's just, you just told your subconscious brain that you can't do math. You can't do this. You can't do that. And so that reinforcement is happening over and over and over again. And typically society, parents, etc., reinforce those kinds of things. Um, and it was a magical moment for me. I'm, again, one of my mentors, I was really lucky to be around. Uh, he said, I want you to do a little experiment. And that experiment is that the next time that there's something you say, you would normally say, oh, I don't remember that. I can't remember that. He said, your subconscious mind is the slave. Your conscious mind is the master. The master just told the subconscious mind, don't go get that information. But if you change that around and you tell then." Your conscious mind says to your subconscious mind, go find that for me, as long as it was in there. You know, obviously, if it wasn't in there, <laughs> it's not going to come out, right? So when people say, oh, I don't remember that actress's name, if you knew that actress's name, it's available. The moment you say, I can't remember that, you just said to the subconscious mind, don't bother going to get that information for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I learned that and I flipped that around, then the next time a Matthew problem came up i said oh i'm completely capable of figuring that out or finding out that information and it to my surprise not only did i does that work 100 of the time if that information's in there you might have to give it one minute you might have to give it one day you might have to give it one week for it to go find it and bring it back to you but if you stop saying i can't remember then your subconscious mind will go find the information that you demanded of it but once you put that mental block in there, and so that applies to absolutely everything. Um, what do you think it was that allowed you to sort of integrate that from your mentor into practice? Like I've 
been like when I, I remember tutoring people in anatomy and physiology where it's just so much information thrown at you and people get so exasperated and you can see that look on their face where like, I'm not going to get this. And, you know, I instantly know working with them that you're not going to get this because you just gave up. It's the same sort of like, if you tell your brain that you're not going to get it. And it was so hard to be like, you just got to relax. Think about what's going on in front of you rather than be in this sort of frantic place in your mind and it was so hard to get people to come back down from when they throw their hands up in the air and say, I'm done. Right. And so the question is, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a time. <laughs> One bite at a time. Right. And so a good mentor, a good teacher will not give you the encyclopedia. will give you the chapter you need. Um, and, and so if you, if, if your person you're working with is, understands that and wants that information. If they don't want it, they're going to throw up mental blocks no matter what, right? But if they want that information, they want that experience, they want that result, and they begin to understand that I, if I just take it one bite at a time, that I can do this and I can I can begin to assimilate it into my being. Um, I still don't love math, <clears throat> So I'm not pretending I've become a mathematician or a scientist. I'm just no longer afraid of it. And I'm really happy on my iPhone. I have calculator. <laughs> and you married a mathematician. I married somebody who's really good at it. And my kids are really good at it. But, but no. Well, yeah, Ryan is. But the point is that, you know, we all have strengths. Um, I don't know that that was ever going to be one of mine. It doesn't have to be. Um, there are people who love that, and so you go bring your strengths yeah, to the world. Totally. Do you think that the information that you want can be a choice or is a choice? In other words, Trevor and like, I were just having a, a debate yeah, about this the other day we, because he started talking about something really sciencey, and I was like, "Wanting information, though, I we really phrased as <laughs> what you find interesting." I could I could think that they're pretty similar concepts. Like what you find interesting, what you choose, I would say a choice to find an interest in is what you want to learn, what you the information that you seek out. So my theory is is that interest is a choice. That you can choose to a certain extent to to be interested in any topic. Doesn't matter, you know, like for you with math, when you chose to be interested in math, then you were able to, you know, digest the information quicker and come to a solution faster. Jen disagreed. From well, I, I, I think something that's... Disagreed that is a strong have, word, but go on. That you have passion for is always going to be um, something that you... Is passion will, a choice? No, I don't think in the the same, into the same magnitude that interest so is. So if I, if I need, because I've made a choice over here that that contains my passion my interest right but over here there's something that's going to help me attain that right but wouldn't be my first choice i wouldn't go down that path because of that path i only go down that path because of these other things that i'm loving and passionate about then yeah i'm going to go learn and try and master that as much as possible I don't remember what Trevor's original example where I was like, I don't care about what you're saying. <laughs> I was a little bit nicer, but then I was telling It, it actually went back to the altitude. It all comes back oh, to the shit. altitude. <laughs> the, 
the argument we've been having this whole uh, this whole vacation. <laughs> I think that was well, about one hour, but okay. So, uh, between the whole family, but Trevor and I have been having it on the side. <laughs> but but uh, then I remember telling him of my past boyfriend who is uh, multiple doctorate degrees and in complicated engineering and mathematics and he would talk about this stuff that was so far above my level of understanding and the extent to which I didn't care was so great I really did not want to listen to him and uh, this is this was huh, you had no interest or passion <laughs> yeah I'd really yeah. say that yeah. Trevor I forget how you started going further down for exploring that idea, though. Like, she, she, because she claimed that he was smarter than she was, which, you know, I never met the man I couldn't speak to, and that she was then, like, unable to grasp the concepts of what he was saying. And I was like, no, it's just because you weren't interested in it. And, you know, had you chosen to be interested in it, I have full confidence that you would have been able to digest the information in a practical way. But, and you were like, I couldn't have chosen to be interested in it. And I was like, well, yeah, so you could have been if you had, you know, been really invested in that relationship and said, if I have the, if I can make listening to this dribble more enjoyable by being interested in it, then, you know, but you chose not to, but I would say it's a choice. What do you think? Well, I think there's aptitude. I think there is such a thing as aptitude. Like, Well, see, that's what I started. I think that what you show aptitude for, you wind up being more inclined to show interest in. So you naturally sort of have this, but you can, through putting in work and energy, you can, you can widen, broaden your horizons. What what pops in my mind is that Van Gogh probably would not have had any interest either in those subjects (laughs) that Jen was just talking about. Obviously a genius and completely smart, but a genius in this one area. And if he, didn't choose to follow that genius we wouldn't have see i often wonder about that too because I mean, look at da vinci you know he was an artist and that sort yeah, of but da vinci was a is a you know i mean they call him a renaissance man for a reason and that is he had the the mental capacity for so many subjects and could go out there and as much as i you know it, you know i don't i don't think i have a lot of problems with self-confidence and self-worth i and I'm probably closer to a Renaissance man than the average person, meaning I have a lot of different interests and passions, music, reading, writing. Photography. Guys, photography. follow him on Instagram, MangoBlue underscore, ke- underscore Kev. <laughs> Mango Blue we'll put it in the description Kev. of the episode. But the, the, the thing is, I mean, I wonder. I mean, I'll I give you an example. There was a couple of times that we were together that um, some math equation – I was trying to figure out in my head, and, you know, I mean, Ryan, my son, would give me the answer in all of about three seconds, you know, or I had already been thinking about it for 20 minutes. Uh, um, just got the aptitude and he's got the capacity for it. For me, it's work and a struggle and therefore it's not a big interest. And therefore, I don't put the time and effort into it. But on the other hand, you know, I've got a passion now to write a particular novel and I feel quite confident that it'll be a great one. I could be completely delusional <laughs> on that, but I don't. But yeah, lack there's the a big confidence. difference of like hard work and a struggle when it's something that interests you and that you're passionate about. Mm. And like, still, you might have somewhat of an aptitude for. It. I mean, like, yeah, like you with writing, it's not like that's necessarily your background or even like historical research and all this stuff. It's not stuff that you've really done before, but you have 
an idea that oh, this that has chosen you to be its host and uh you you want to get that out in the way that you know uh i don't remember where i was going with that <laughs> well i i think I, that, that that's very perceptive Jen, and that is that be, because it it is compelling to me on many different levels um and a challenge mm-hmm. um that i don't i don't find it at this stage, you know, at early stage to be a struggle, finding, making the time for it is just something that needs to happen. But I mean, there are lots of things that I've found to be like a struggle or harder. I mean, my aforementioned thing of learning to do hand lettering. I mean, that was one of the art forms that now is my profession, but took the longest for me to get good at. I mean, I worked at it every day for a year before I was any good, before I remotely deserved to get paid for it but it never felt like it never felt like listening to someone talk about complex mathematical engineering (laughs) it was always just like yeah okay i'm not good at this and i am so driven to get good at this what do you think feeds perseverance desire (laughs) (laughs) always has always will you don't have a desire there's what do you think causes desire? Well, great, great question. Um, you know, the, 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 you can go to the to some of the cliched answers to that. You know, the, the why does anybody climb Mount Everest because it's there? Um, you know, somebody willing to just take that on. Um, but I, I think desire is caused by so many different things. Um, desire for creativity, desire for wealth, desire for power, desire for control. I don't think there's anyone answer to that particular question. Um, and if if we look at all the great that's happened in the world and most of the bad, <laughs> they they have that same thing in common. You know, the desire. I have a desire to create the Third Reich, and you know create the final solution not particularly great desire for as we know but you know you mentioned da vinci you know, desire to explore the world and understand how the mechanisms of it work and and get it down on paper for posterity and humanity to to learn from so i think i think that's interesting i mean you said you said creativity power wealth money or I forget the other three were but it was like creativity versus what I would say are like three synonyms all for the same thing which is like power wealth and I forget what the third one was well there there, there are people who have pursued power that have care less about wealth I think that generally goes the other way around I think people in the pursuit of wealth are really seeking power or just a lot yeah, of yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, crap to, yeah but I mean but, but, <laughs> but, but, but think about it from the other side you, you know, you have, you know, one after the other great inventions that have led to wealth, but that was not the initial desire. The, well, yes, like, yeah. I mean, I think that's different. I think you can acquire wealth and power without it being necessarily your the driving, driving force. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not bagging on wealth or power. I think that they're inevitable, and they're you know, wealth is great. I'm not, you know, but if, if that's your driving force, I think that it's gonna. It's problematic, at the least. Yeah, of course it's problematic. 
And that's why I said that it's the, the, the word desire has driven the greatest of poetry and the greatest of the arts and the greatest of inventions. And that's also driven the, the, the horror of war and the horror of um, so many things. So it's, it's, you know, but without it, what is there? That's why I love the creativity answer so much. I mean, I think that is definitely one of the fundamental. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you look of, at some of the, the the wealthiest people in the world. I don't know much about um, uh, Jeff Bezos. I don't know his background. I do know that he had an amazing idea and an incredible yeah. vision to to push it forward. But I do also know, that, you know, Alan and Jobs. Uh, not Alan Jobs. Uh, Alan Microsoft. Come on, help me out. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This, is one, this is one of the things I love about Ayn Rand is I think she takes this perspective of like there's all these people with all these desires to create. And then there's all these people that just want wealth and power that sort of sap at those people who create. And I think she does a really good job of building this whole reality around this principle that I think is, is true to a large degree. That, yeah, and I don't, I don't think we'll, that that will leave humanity. I think that will be a part of humanity for forever, and it's you know hopefully we evolve to the point where we can allow enough of that without war and and strife. But you know we don't we don't seem that inclined yet to completely do that. There's certainly an evolution taking place of people who are saying no, no, no. We can <clears throat> we can rise above all that, <clears throat> but you know that there will always be that conflict. And, and then, you know, again, I'd say we, we see it played out, you know, in today's world, not just in the United States, but, you know, in, in many facets of life and business and politics that certain people come in and it is their self-aggrandizement, their lust for power that drives them. Um, you know, and I look at a guy like Elon Musk who, you know, just, uh, you know, this brain exposed tapping into the universe and creating all this stuff and he's become wealthy but i think he still like lives in a one-bedroom apartment or something (laughs) means nothing to him um same with a virgin what's his name richard branson well richard branson's got lots of beautiful property including an island that he owns (laughs) Was it, I was listening to an NPR thing on him now that he like lives like with his kids. I think maybe I'm thinking of a, a different person, but I'm pretty sure a different virgin. <laughs> no, no, a different person. Uh, I'll oh, have to fact person. check that one. Oh, okay. um, that he like still lived with his yeah, I, yeah. Son he may, and, but uh, it might be in a mansion somewhere. And, and I'm, I don't think Richard lives in complete poverty. I've, I've seen his island, and it's pretty nice. I'll fact check that. <laughs> But, you know, but yeah, I mean, here's a guy who had nothing, had a, a vision, I mean, and he is a real force for social good. I mean, that's, he has embraced that in a very, very powerful way. And, um, you know, like some of the other, you know, modern industrialists like Musk and him, um, really have an opportunity to change the world for the better. So, you know, some will use power for for that, and some will use it for bad shit. <laughs> <laughs> On a like uh, evolutionary historical 
perspective, where do you think we stand today with the political climate on this sort of curve of progress well, versus backtrack versus? I, I think we're on the brink of, of chaos and the brink of democracy being even better strengthened. And a good friend of mine um, who didn't grow up in the U.S., uh, born in the Eastern in the Soviet bloc, um, he moved to the U.S. early on. His family immigrated. Great perspective, because uh, he understands the Soviet Union and that mind think, etc. And he said, you know, that every institution will be tested, you know, and, and every empire eventually either weakens or crumbles or, you know, completely collapses. Um I forget the name of the woman who recently was elected to Congress, I think the first Muslim woman. Um, and she answered that question by saying, you know, many say that this is the demise of democracy. I say it's the early beginnings of democracy in the United States where we've been tested and our, our institutions are holding and as painful as this is, we will come out the other side uh, stronger and better. And of course, I worry that that's Maybe not going to be true, but I think all the signs are pointing to the that people are really waking up and saying, yeah. you know, I'm I'm not allowing this anymore. You know, I'm not allowing that divisiveness into my heart and my brain. I sure hope so. As do I. All right, let's get dark now. <laughs> so, Dad. <laughs> well, it's appropriate. It's getting dark inside. Um, let's you. You had um, a very traumatic childhood, uh, and a question that we're interested in general and that we are interested in exploring on this podcast and a lot of different avenues is what, what factors go into somebody taking a traumatic experience and turning that into post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress? And I think that you're one of the most stunning examples of post-traumatic growth that I've ever seen. Well, I wish I knew some institutionalized answer for that, meaning what Jen's referring to is that, you know, in a period of two, two, two and a half years, you know, my dad died and I was 11, died in front of me, a heart attack. My grandfather, who lived with us from the day I was born, probably long before that, so we had, you know, working class extended household in a row house neighborhood. Um my uncle who lived with us passed shortly after that. And then my sister who was 21 um, shortly after that. So you had your sister-in-law geez. shortly after that. And my sister-in-law. Um, but the, the difference being that those four people brought income into the household. Now my mom was left not only heartbroken um, and how she did it, I have no clue. Um, I think under the same circumstances, I'd be worried I'd find a bullet pretty comforting. Um, that 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 kind of trauma is um, you're more resilient as a kid, um, but I think because she had three boys to raise, she didn't have the luxury of thinking about all that. Um, but I think the the thing that really started to become clear to me through that was at some point that I had a choice to make. That you know I was by far in the world. The worst things didn't happen to me. Far worse things have happened to people with, uh, you know, Auschwitz and surviving all that and coming out with a life and a 
great attitude. I mean, you know, you know, earthquakes and your entire family wiped out. I mean, I kind of knew all that at some point in my early teens, and I knew that I could either go down the path of darkness and just be an asshole and probably, you know, go deep into drugs and etc. Um, or I could just honor them and embrace that I had my life to live and I had to go find my own way and my own happiness out of all that. And, you know, so you, you, you have to, to decide. We talked earlier about, you know, what are your choices? I do believe that happiness is a choice. I don't think it's a circumstance. I think life can kick you in the walls <laughs> really yeah. hard. Um, I think you have to choose to happiness every day. Yeah, but you, you know, happiness is a choice. So you, you either and it, and if you think it's not, any listener thinks that that's not true, then you are. What is the option? What is the alternative to to that thought process? And when people are take that mentality that I'm a victim, that shit has happened to me. Why me? La 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 la. Where is that getting you? And I've, I've often had people say to me, you know, how come you're not more upset by this? And I'm like, well, if that would actually create the outcome I want, I'd be happy to be upset. <laughs> you know, it's like... <clears throat> if I cried and it brought everyone back to life. Yeah, I mean, if it all, yeah, if it, that all did that, it doesn't mean I'm not sad or empathetic or any of those things. Uh, by a long shot, it simply means that if I succumb to that, then... I'm basically just creating a path that a will not bring me happiness, won't bring me the results that I want, won't bring them back, and it won't honor the fact that they were part of my life and um, they didn't have that choice. My dad didn't have that choice. His heart stopped, you know, at 41 years of age. So either I lay down and, and cry, you know, and say, "Oh, woe is me," and or I just say, hey, thank you for the life you've given me, and I'm going to go Make enjoy the, the world. <laughs> and, and you know, look, I mean, you can't say anything more trite than, you know, our days are numbered. We don't have a lot of time on the planet. But that is obviously true. And so you either take that as fact and go embrace it, or you become a victim and lay down and cry. And your results will show up one way or the other. You'll just be a miserable son of a bitch. Probably broke. And, you know, and unhappy. Or you go find your happiness. Speaking that, of going to find your happiness, let's get happy now. Um, so you and mom just celebrated your 40th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to interrogate you about her now. Interrogation time. Is she gone? Is she in the room? <laughs> Let's hope so. Um, all right. You were, you're different people with a lot of different activities that make you happy. I'd say dad is one of the most extroverted performers I've ever met. And mom is would be much happier in her room with a book um how how has this evolved over the course of your relationship um did you try to change each other at all in the beginning or always accept each other for exactly who you are and your differences 
Well, I think that that is the, from my point of view, the key to a successful long-term relationship is don't try and change the other person. <laughs> is they, they've got a path to go on. They, you know, maybe it works out between you. Maybe it doesn't. You know, it's by the moment you start trying to contain that person and make them something that they're not, that's your vision. Like, I'm not talking about small things, you know. Somebody leaves the toilet seat open, you know, or puts their towels where they're not supposed to be. Those are changeable things if you care enough about the other person. But I'm talking, we're talking about the big picture, right? Yeah. You know, what do you want? What do you want to be? So if you can answer the question, who do you want to be? That doesn't mean you answer the question, what does your partner want to be? Right? So the inevitable thing is, well, if I have a the desire and a dream for my life she does too how can i be the best vehicle for that to happen sometimes it's enabling sometimes it's getting out of the way sometimes it's having conversations that help that person reflect on where they want to go and so i think it's dialogue you know and sometimes you need somebody to kick your butt and ask you to change something because it's not that good for you so I'm not talking about completely laissez-faire. Oh, I don't care. Go do whatever you want. Um, you know, mom's helped me tremendously in giving me insight into my self and thought processes and what I do. And hopefully I've done the same for her. But the the immediate thing is the respect that my expectation is that you will grow to be who you're meant to be. That is beautiful. Any well, I think something that uh, something that we've talked about often is the distinction between codependency and sort of healthy um, help me here. entwinement. Yeah, like you know, when you when you're with your partner, there is you know how do how do you how do you distinguish between those like a healthy relationship that depends on one another yeah over yeah versus in a relationship you're going to be entangled that's a wonderful thing right it's it's again it's if i need you not to be you so you can fulfill me because you need to become the vision of what i want you to be you're in trouble but relationships are messy you know, because people are messy and it's supposed to be. And part of growing is learning how to struggle through that. And, you know, we've been known we don't fight very much. And that's, you know, maybe not the healthiest thing. Maybe it, it it's fine for our style. What we are really good at is giving feedback and in a really loving way and just saying, you know, I need this, or I see you going over here. Is this really where you want to go? With the entire basis being, my expectation is for you to grow to be who and what you're supposed to be. And the scary thing about that for people is maybe that doesn't include you. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the risk you have to take. But, you know, after 43 years, it's, <laughs> it's still working out pretty well. It's still working out pretty well. <laughs> 
how do you deal with not often getting to bring your favorite person out to your favorite activities? Hmm. So again, it, it goes back to that, you know, giving, I mean, mom gives me a tremendous amount of room. I want to go do something and she doesn't feel like doing it. She never, I can't even imagine last time she said, no, I really prefer you don't do that. You know, you're like, you know, call your friend, go do, you know. She always just says, yay, I get the house to myself to read a book. (laughs) And then I get to go listen to some music or do whatever. Is it always as fun as if we were doing it together? Of course not, but we do lots of things together, like travel for a month with our kids in Australia and New Zealand, so like we're doing right now. So it's just one of those compromises of, you know, I got the freedom to go. I got the freedom to stay home. She's got the freedom to go. She's got the freedom to stay home. What are the, what are the main pitfalls you see other couples fall prey to that you guys haven't? Probably what I just said. That is limiting freedom. It's it goes not just limiting freedom because you know when when you're a couple, there's going to be a limit on freedom. You know, I mean, I don't feel free or the desire to go. You know, I'm just going to go spend two years living in South America without you. That's a big jump, right? Yes. Um, so of course there's limitations on freedom if you choose it to be that you don't have to you could go to your you know just leave right and there's consequences to that your relationship maybe ceases to exist that so many people have um so it, it's not as if it's a you're you are completely free to do whatever you want i mean you are but within the boundaries of a an agreement a promise to each other there are limitations i think the thing that's what I, where I see most people struggle is in, in two things. One is they think that they can change the other person, and if they can manage to do that, then everything will be okay. That almost never works, right? And so the, the fundamental principle that I think Mom and I have really operated on is that I expect you to grow and be the person you're supposed to be, and... I hope I can play a role in that and and be part of that. And to the extent that I can do that, great. To the extent that that doesn't work for me, I should tell you, vice versa. Um, I mean, that's just part of the deal. But I think the big mistake is thinking that you can change somebody and that's going to make everything okay. Because if that if that person says, I need to change, and I want to change because I don't like where I've been or where I'm going, and I know that that will strengthen my relationship with my with my sweetheart, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just frequently one person says, you know, it's all going to be okay because we're going to have a baby, and it's all going to work out. And we're going to go buy a home, and it's all going to work out. <clears throat> you know, it's almost like, okay... I can put the divorce date on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you done intentional maintenance over the course of your relationship, or has it always been natural? 
Oh, I think there's no doubt that's both of those things. I mean, it has to be both of those things because sometimes, I mean, I think any human being is quite capable of being completely zoned out on what's going on. You're off in some other space and it's not working for the other person. They have to be intentional about telling you and you have to be intentional about either receiving that or not and dealing with it. And I think other parts of it are just kind of like, oh, shit, I can tell I'm, we're off here. We got to, I got to create some adjustments. Uh, what are the key communication rules that you follow? You listen to me. <laughs> uh, I think right what I just said, and that is trying to be, you know, I mean, after a while, of course, you know the other person, you know, their ups and downs, their swings, their needs, all those things. And so you try and communicate appropriately. Somebody's in a zone where they're not really ready to hear. You've been together for a while. You probably know that. And sometimes you got to jump in anyway, but most of the time it's just, you know, somebody needs a little space to figure it out. And then you jump in. <laughs> How did you keep your relationship strong throughout the difficulties of parenting? Um, by hating on our kids. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good fun. Yeah. I mean, why bash each other when you can bash your children, especially when they're asleep or out doing something they shouldn't be doing? Uh, I think, it, again, it's really just that. You know, you, you, you had kids hopefully for the right reasons. And that is, what are the right reasons? Because you wanted a family, you wanted to give that new life a a space to be able to flourish. And I would would say, you know, one of the things mom is great about is just that, you know, creating a safe space for her kids to flourish. I agree. hmm? I agree. As for you. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, again, given that that's the root of the agreement, so to speak, uh, doesn't mean you're always going to agree on every single thing. But if you have that as the the basis, you know. Well, we have heard this statistic. I have a nighty time. That statistically... A couple becomes less happy when they have children. I'm assuming that's the statistic that you're referring to. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that they don't show more fulfillment. There's other categories that they excel in, but... Less happy in life and contentment overall and definitely less markedly less happy in their relationship. Yeah, report being less happy with their lives and in their relationships post-kids. I think there's probably an incredible mix of all of that. I mean, you're, you know... If if you want a family, you want to bring kids in the world, then, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a big commitment to sticking with it. And if you didn't think it was going to be a little bit challenging, then you probably shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with that said, I mean, like that 
it's not like that these people are saying that they wish they didn't have kids yeah. or that it wasn't you yeah. know worth the trade off. Just you know, look, the I, I first mean, question is how yeah, happy you are. I, I look, I've I've had an experience recently that would reflect that. Went out for what I you and I thought were going to be good pizza at that restaurant and it sucked. <laughs> you know, doesn't mean that what? That, <laughs> yeah, it actually relates. Okay. It's it, just because you thought it was going to be all fun and games doesn't mean it's going to the pizza is going to come out well or you're not going to have a rough time with your kids completely different things the pizza obviously you know is over in an hour and your kids are with you hopefully for the rest of your life my point is if you didn't know that there was going to be you know some challenge to it then you actually have no memory because there's a damn good chance that you were a pain in the ass somewhere along the way as a kid i certainly was um you did stuff you weren't supposed to do and you have to remember that part of it in order to be a good parent but what did you do to to keep your to keep energy and focus and intention towards your marriage when there was such dramatic loud children happening? You got to build that in. You got to take time. You got to put them down to bed. <laughs> you know, you have to accept the fact that that you know for the next odd number of years they're going to be. You know, it's just the way it is. You know. You're not going to want to have sex. You're not going to want to do this. You're going to want to sleep in. You got to get up. But it's all part of the bargain. And I mean, the the worst reason to have a kid that I can think of is because you think it's going to strengthen your relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you've got a strong relationship, and you decide that it can handle other. You know. It can handle being totally beaten and broken down by children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And remember that. As negative as you just made that sound, <laughs> that the opposite is far more true for most parents, and that is, they can't imagine not having had their, their their children and loving them. And what? And because at the end of the day, the reality is, I'd expect mom to take a bullet for you before she take a bullet for me. Really? Yeah, and, and I'm mom sure. Would expect the, the, the same, and hopefully, that's crazy as that sounds. That's that's certainly something that everybody has to think about, you know. I mean, if you're not willing, you know, it's like if you're like, yeah, fuck the kid. Um, you know, they can take their own bullet. I'm just getting out of the way over here so I can go have fun. Then probably made a mistake and you weren't ready. Yeah. You know, but, you know, when you have a kid, I mean, you hear this said over and over again. People say, oh, I had no idea it would be this powerful and amazing and how much I love them. And I think that's built into our wiring i think it has to be because otherwise you kill them yeah <laughs> see i can't help but wonder though if there's a way to sort of mitigate the negatives while enhancing the positives for sure is. what do you think that some of those could be okay building in time for yourselves i think having the agreement that you're gonna uh you know not not put off issues and let it fester but deal with it quickly you know, I feel this way about you and the kid or you or, you know, I, you know, I mean, the typical thing for women had been changing somewhat, but, you know, it's like you expect me to be the same woman I was, you know, when we were dating, and, but now you also want me to, you know, take care of the kids more, more than you do and take care of this and take care of that and take care of that. So it's unrealistic expectations. If you, you know, we're pretty knowledgeable. We have the information about where the ups and downs have been for a long time in raising kids. 
I think if you have the honest conversations before as much beforehand as you can or as immediately as you can. Um, we have all this information. Why do you think that divorce rates have been increasing and studies like this have shown that happiness has been decreasing with child selection? Like, shouldn't this all be improving? Well, so I, my, my, my first reaction to that is if, if I listen to, to studies about everybody else's happiness and then I graded my own choices to that information – um, maybe I'd never be a parent. We wouldn't be having this interview. I think that 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 can be really, really misleading. Um, I also don't think that divorce rates are necessarily reflections on successful marriages rates. I'm sure that those statistics have been relatively comparable throughout history. Well, I, th- I think the difference is, you know, in, in my grandparents' generation, you didn't get divorced. Right, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm just like, it's more socially acceptable. It's easier. It's, it's Yeah. All, all those things. So probably all the stuff that they ended up putting up with and then sticking together and probably a lot of them glad that they did and some wishing they hadn't. I mean, you know, we're, we're humans. We're a bit of a mess for people not to have kids because there's a study that says having kids decreases happiness. I would say, I wonder who's <laughs> writing that study and designing it because... Yeah, I would say, why aren't we designing studies that focus on what sort of systematic changes can be implemented to make that no longer statistically because true. you're you're a unit and what outside force is going to do that for you you have to make those choices unless you change the way that the unit structure is i mean you know we're operating on this nuclear family sort of scenario where you know, that's not how it always was there's sort of going back further than we've been talking our different ways of looking at what a family is you know makes me wonder because i think that a lot of these problems come up with the burden that arises with kids it becomes almost like unrealistic to expect two people to handle two children three children four children with one of them working full-time 40 hours a week they're not home now i mean i can't even it's enough to have a dog <laughs> and he's pretty chill and that still is like a little and we don't have 40 hours yeah like i mean that's like and i can't imagine i mean mm-hmm. and it seems like kind of kind of insanity to me that people have been bought onto this with like not especially when you combine that with the fact that having more than one child is not the greatest thing for the environment that we're destroying very rapidly yeah there but seems they knew to their be first a, kid wasn't going to be environmentalist so they knew they had to have me well that's true i guess that you know can you can sort of offset your carbon footprint, so to speak. I mean, if you follow all that to its logical conclusion, nobody should have kids, and we should all just disappear. And no, nature I doesn't think that's not necessarily true. I think uh, the logical conclusion would be more that we should have a deficit when it comes to kids, meaning that you know, two, negative population yeah, so growth, negative population or growth, equal population growth, at the yeah, very but, least, an equal population growth. But that's not going to happen, Trevor. The, the reality is that that that, that has to happen. No. So, which force of the universe is going to impose that on humanity? Well, hopefully we impose it upon ourselves. But that's not, that's why it's never going to happen because this particular person that's true, has desired seven kids. This then one, we're screwed. We're, we're, we're going to die yeah, in a, in a <laughs> famine. And I mean, that's not, that's not good. I mean, I think, I think that we can achieve better. I mean, I think well, that the reality we is, have to. Actually, if. Honestly, I mean, if we can get, and that's a big if, we get our arms around the environmental issues, that is doable. 
the reality is we produce enough food on the planet right now to feed everybody. It's the economic distribution and the imbalance of wealth that becomes the problem. But now we need another two hours <laughs> for the podcast because I think uh, we're doing our battery. That's a pretty long conversation. <laughs> that's fair. Want to move on? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. When when one of you is stressed, what steps do you take to not take it personal slash be supportive? Uh, you generally hit the other person and then walk away. <laughs> that's what we do too. That's right. Yeah. Hit you and walk away. I yeah. think that takes time and effort of of in a relationship because early on, before you really know yourself and that other person and have a rhythm, that it's really easy to take everything any slight personal. I think it's all about you. And as you mature in a relationship and realize that's usually just symptomatic of somebody needs some space and time and figure it out when you give them that space and time. And sometimes it might be personal, and maybe there's a reason for it. And so you need to go ask that question. So what's causing that to happen? I mean, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to point everything. I was being all rosy, and if you just start giving everybody, you know, their other person their space, you know, it's all going to be lovey-dovey and work out. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But I think that that is largely the real issue. Again, that's something that you know, mom's been really good at. Is, you know, giving space, giving the ability to, and because you know we long we long ago at the beginning made the decision that it's about your growth and happiness. And if we contend that field nicely, that we will grow together rather than apart. Uh, the next question is uh, Tom Robbins, my favorite author. This is the subtitle of a Tom Robbins' book that you haven't read. Uh, and the, I think I've, I've read you some quotes on it. And it's just simply, how do you make love stay is, the, is his question. And he has a very funny answer about love goes to the deli. And if you buy it, if you save love, you say, a seat how do you and all make love? Stuff. Do you mean how do you have sex or how do you have... <laughs> How do you make love? How do you make love stay? This is interesting. (laughs) Stay is the operative verb in this question. How do you make love stay? Yeah. Oh, I think you said, how do you make love? (laughs) You never gave me the birds and the bees talk, Daddy. I really needed help. Well, maybe it's time. (laughs) No. (laughs) How do you make love stay? Uh, and also read that book. It's funny. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's the question of the ages, and you'll get, I mean, if you were interviewing 100 people, you'd probably get 100 different answers on that. I'm sure. I would hope so. Right. Um, What's the Kevin O'Connor answer? Kevin O'Connor answer is, it, it's the same answer as the, I've been giving. That is, you, you have to have the expectation that it's your job in a relationship to give the space and the integrity for somebody to, to grow. And if, if you do that, that generally infers such respect and love that that person will want to stay. And the love will want to stay. Doesn't mean you won't have some times of ah, unhappiness, but 
know, it's just part of growing up and part of life. And it starts, goes right back to that early question of, I had somehow knew, I don't know exactly, I don't think anybody ever sat me down. I just knew that I could go down a path that was really not going to be very happy and, and feel bad for myself and be stupid about it. Um, or I had to choose happiness. So, when you, same thing. You, you choose to stay in a loving relationship, then you've got to do those things to keep that loving relationship alive. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. You're done with mom questions, unless you have any other mom comments. Or if you have any other mom questions or love questions. Is there much more? Now we get into our uh, our regular stuff, which is much, supposed to be much faster answers. Okay, because I haven't had dinner yet. All right. What is the most unrealistic thing you believe in? Um, that Donald Trump will go to jail tomorrow. <laughs> I don't yeah. think you really believe that, but I'll accept this answer. Whichever. <laughs> That's pretty unrealistic. I don't think he'll go to jail tomorrow. I think it'll be a few weeks. Hopefully. One can hope. If there's one behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop, what would it be? Oh, man. Well, obviously stopping hate, but also stopping being assholes to the environment. Yay. What is the most annoying thing about people? Being assholes to the environment <laughs> and to each other. Yes. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? The idea that we give it any attention whatsoever to reality stars? (laughs) That's great. Hopefully that will be gone in five years. I don't understand it. It's been going on for like 20 years now, but. I know, but hopefully it's. Hopefully that's 25. That's as long as you all get. Um, what is your favorite thing about yourself? Everything. <laughs> Good answer. What's your most embarrassing? He's preparing for a real answer. Oh. Sure. <laughs> I'd say my favorite thing about myself is my my curiosity about the world and wanting to find a variety of ways to explore that. <laughs> What's your most embarrassing story from before age ten? Wow, before age ten, or just youth in general? We don't want an adult. In I mean, whatever. No, you're different, Dad. You can tell your most embarrassing story of all time. You have some good ones. I really like the one about the tooth on the airplane. <laughs> That's one of my favorite embarrassing stories. But the dudes on the airplane. The tooth. Oh, that's too long. It's not as funny <laughs> if you're not standing in front of me. It's- the whole thing it's hard to tell you'll have to tell Trevor after with the podcast Uh, maybe you'll come back for a second podcast I have an embarrassing story from this trip when we were coming down I don't even know if I told you this we were coming oh that's right we separated you guys stayed up there so I come down off the uh, the lift thing the gondola gondola. yeah mom and Ryan have taken off by myself you guys stayed up there and I stop at the restroom at the bottom. I come out, and you're basically got a sidewalk or a parking lot. I'm walking through the parking lot, and I realize that my zipper is down, which for some reason in my old age 
It seems to happen a lot. No, I it happens to Trevor a lot. And he's not <laughs> does, a senility in the younger people. No. So anyway, I stop and I see it there, and I figure I better pull up my zipper. And I'm standing in front of a car. It's got frosted windows, and I don't see anybody in there. I'm reaching down, and I can't get a grip. Of this <laughs> so. Uh, struggling along there trying to get a hold of the zipper it's kind of stuck in the cloth <laughs> and finally I get it and I yank it and as I do I look again and there's four young people going, <laughs> set up their mouth wide open <laughs> <I'm intended. laughs> Uh, what's your least favorite thing about being a parent? Uh, boy. There's so about. many to choose from. A lot to choose from. <laughs> I wonder is ever watching your kids struggle with something. That is where that whole analogy of you want your spouse to be able to grow. Most people actually don't. That's the cause of most problems. And you don't think most people, do you? I mean, a lot of people you think that's just insecurity that causes people to not want their absolutely, yeah. absolutely. They're 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 afraid that if that person grows, I, I saw this firsthand. It was an amazing experience for me. Um, in a lot of social service programs when I was younger, and uh, we ran a halfway house for kids that. We ended up in foster care and had all these pro- problematic lives. And, you know, of course, we had house parents. Usually a married couple who were the parents for the house. And, um, the woman of the couple, I don't even recall their names, I can picture them. She was really overweight. And somewhere along the line made the decision to lose weight and look good and it was a transformation she went from basically ugly duckling to you know supermodel in the course of a couple months and it completely screwed up the relationship because now she felt really good about herself she felt attractive to the world and it just crashed the relationship and I thought oh my god why why would that happen why would why, why would that not be a celebration? But they hadn't prepared for it. They didn't know what to do with that change. Um, they hadn't talked it through. They hadn't thought it through. She didn't, you know, I don't know what she looked like when they started dating. He was pretty trim, if I recall correctly. Nice, nice people, cared about kids from what I knew and could tell. But once that transformation happened, it was, wasn't a celebration. It was a turmoil for them wow and was that duly sided or was was she, i don't know you don't know i don't know i really don't know i don't know whether you know she just finally felt like i mean maybe she was trapped in something she didn't want to be trapped in and was finally you know a butterfly <laughs> flying free or whether he had always been saying you know i want to love you and support you i he freaked out i have no idea but and the, i think the the lesson I learned from that is that, that again, when people aren't 
engage together in embracing change and embracing expansion, growth. growth that it can just throw a hand grenade into a relationship. And and if if your starting premise in a relationship is, I am here to be a celebration of you, you're here to be a celebration of me. Hopefully, that celebration continues forever. If it doesn't, then you know, we'll have enjoyed the journey. Um, but if you're not if you're not starting from that basis, if you're, you know, I am, you know, if it's controlling and and and, and not expansive. The inevitability of you being separating that relationship is pretty strong. What life practices do you do to keep yourself sane and balanced? What practices? Yeah. What life practices do you do to keep yourself yourself sane and balanced? Luckily, create an addiction to exercise. <laughs> I think. Every bit of research substantiates the fact that the, the chemical changes in the body when you uh, work out is great for you on so many different levels, from stress relief to as you get older. Um, we we know today scientifically that uh, hormones are produced that help reverse aging processes and substantiate longevity. So. For me, that's like the critical piece. And if I go three or four days without it, it's dramatic to me. I can feel just the setting in. So, Have you always practiced that? Um, I've always been really physically active. Um, Intentionally so, working out, though? Or yeah, yeah, because I was in performing arts and I had to stay in, in, in shape. Um, Obviously, not easier when you are, when as you get older. But it's all the more important as you do. The benefits are extreme, um, even down just to the point of stability. You know, not falling. I mean, I'm not worried about that right now. And I probably hmm. wouldn't be if I, even if I weren't maintaining physical exercise. But it's really clear. I mean, all the literature is very clear. That stability, muscle tone, the, the hormone production, the anti-inflammatory results are all amazingly beneficial. Where is it that they say that before you can be prescribed antidepressants, the doctor I think the legally UK. has to prescribe an exercise routine? I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. It's far more effective as well. Just oh yeah, by, by by a long shot. I skipped that by accident. What is your What is the book that has most influenced your life? Uh, Trevor, I've thought about that more than a million times, uh, and I don't know the answer because it's it's changed with time and age, and you know. Um, I think as it what, should. I think. And, and it should. Uh, so there's been, been, been so many. Um, I would say probably for me, one of the most provocative books I read was Dune because even it's a science fiction book. But it, This it, is, do you remember, at the beginning of this vacation, my mom was telling us that we had to read this and put it next on our reading list. A big impact on, their, on them when they were 
a little younger than us. And... No, I don't remember this. Uh, this was like the first or second day yeah. we all got together. She was telling yeah. us that we would really love this because we had been telling her about some of the books we've been reading. Yeah, Dune. And, and the reason it's, it's it's powerful, it's a it's a whole series of, of books, and, I, and I mean, generally people love it. Um, but its premise is it takes what we hold to be true, and it's written, I don't know, 40 years ago, maybe longer. What we hold to be true, particularly from a religion point of view, and it takes the world religions, Islam, Christianity, all the mythologies, throws it thousands of years into the future on different planets, and its evolution of what would have happened to that mythology as it all jumbled up in space and time. It's fascinating. That sounds right up my Really, yeah. really good. And so what it does is it just provokes your, you know, so what you hold to be, you know, because that's what you grew up with, right? And whatever tradition you might have grown up with, that that is in fact happening as we speak and has been happening forever. And, you know, you, you understand the evolution of Christianity, for example, you know, there's a reason that um, certain important dates on the calendar happened because they were pagan rituals that were then Christianized in order to bring the pagans over to... This is the subplot of my favorite book. This is all of that history. Yeah, so, so you've got, you know, imagine taking all that and then just throwing it out three, four thousand years from now on a planet, on a variety of planets, and what would happen to that mythology. And and absolutely amazing. I think that's one of my favorite sort of thought experiments is testing what current traditions and, and realities that we have and how they can be sort of altered and manipulated and what that extrapolated upon would be. I'm curious. We should definitely... Next on the list. Next on the list. Yeah. Yeah, read it. Michelle, fact, we'll report I will, back I will to you. Read it. Yes, All right. Please do. Got you reread it. We'll we'll talk about it next time we hang out. Can I have dinner? Uh, <laughs> we're very close. We are very close. What is the most environmentally friendly thing that you do, and or the main environmentally friendly thing you want others to do? Well, as my daughter has said, you have to take personal responsibility for the things that you can personally take. Care Individual of. action, bitches. Yeah, well, yeah, and as I've said to you, that has to go hand in hand with large-scale actions that individuals can't take. Um, you know, we can recycle for the rest of our lives, and it's not going to have the impact on reducing carbon emissions unless the Paris Accord-type processes happen where governments agree to put the investment in to, to make that happen. And so it's got to be a... You know, it's got to come from the top. It's got to come from the grassroots simultaneously. So we can have an effect on those things by how we vote and how we petition, how we protest or whatever. Um, but at the same time, we can't say, well, you know, I'm not going to recycle or I'm not going to reduce my consumption of crap. <laughs> um, I, I'm delighted here in New Zealand. Uh, I don't think I've been given a plastic straw, but I've been given a straw. We're all biodegradable. You know, it's, it seems minor. 
right? Until you realize, of course, and then know that, you know, straws are strangling the ocean and strangling our, our ocean creatures. Right, and it's just the example of how easy it is to make a change yeah. that, that isn't going to majorly have negative effects on people's lives. Like, no, no effect, no negative effect whatsoever. Yeah. So I think, I think just, you know, taking personal responsibility, it's not hard. It's really not hard. Just, you know, if you, like anything else, if you just make it a system and do it. Absolutely. Amen. I think it's such a shame, though, how people think it's so hard. Like, if you would have said a year ago, like, what we really need to do is we need to stop plastic straws, people would be like, yeah, but that's never going to happen. You know, that's crazy. You would have to do stuff to make that happen. Here's our last and final question. So I'm looking at a plastic water bottle, and obviously we're going to recycle this, so I don't feel 100% guilt. (sighs) But somewhere along like the lines, eighty-seven percent. Yeah, okay with you know, um, That's why convenience is more important in the environment. Um, but uh, somewhere along the line, those need to cease to exist. Absolutely. And they will. And you cease them to exist in your regular life at home by instituting the very simple solution of well, a soda I use, stream. I don't use Right, that's what I'm saying. You've, huh. you've made them cease to exist in your real life, just mm-hmm. your travel life. Why do people do small talk? Small talk is wonderful. Whoa, small. controversial response. Yeah, because, because nobody's going to show up to somebody on the street and go, so how was sex last night? Or... How do you love that that's the opposite of small talk? Right. I mean, the, the, the thing is, we we need small talk. Is that that little thing that happens? It people love to belittle it because, but we all do it, and there's a reason we all do it, and that is that it is the it's it's kind of the social agreement that I don't know you, uh, and even if I do, you know, and I haven't seen you for a while, I'm going to say how are the kids, how was Christmas, how was all that stuff that we would throw into the category of small talk. I don't yeah. I could easily take the other side because I don't want small talk to last in a conversation for very long. It'd be nice to go a little bit more in depth with somebody on something. But it's it's just kind of that social contract that says, you know, it, it's you know, so what do dogs do? They come <laughs> up and smell each other's asses. That's dog small talk. <laughs> right? That's like, right. Let's get this over with. You know. <laughs> And, you know, now we can actually go romp in the grass and whatever. It's it's, it's beautiful just, analogy. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that is beautiful. I mean, I think where, like, my issues with small talk really come into play. I don't have a problem with doing the hello initial whatever 30 seconds of let's get now we can, now we've done our association with each other and we can get into it. I think. And, and, what, but into what? So you've got to have, anything. you've got to have a path for that. And so. You know, if you know, the other day, uh, yesterday, uh, going for a run, ran this uh, father-son taking a walk with the dog, and, um, you know, I, I was not going to get into the depth of, you know, what you're really feeling about this, that, or the other thing. You know, it was about New Zealand and small talk and small talk, but, but it's quite enjoyable, and you had a moment, and they got to talk to me and hear a little bit about Philly, and I got to hear a little bit about New Zealand. But we were never going to take an hour and go deep into, you know, what is your feelings about uh, Nietzsche? You know, again, the opposite of small talk. Yeah, the opposite of small talk, and that's what you're. T- so, you know, small talk is wonderful. Yeah. It's it's the bridge to, uh, 
to establishing a relationship for further talk if you've got the time and the connection for that. I think, I mean, a big part of why I wanted to, why we wanted to have a podcast is to be able to ask people real questions that we actually wanted to hear the answers to and have an engagement in this way. I think that's an important distinction too. I mean, what you were just kind of giving an example of is, you know, a genuine conversation where at least there's interest there. Yeah. Like I think that we all go into these automated conversations where neither party gives a crap about what the other person's actually asking or saying in return. A lot of our issues come from our work. Like Trevor, as a server, the the script of bullshit that he would be forced to go through and me in my last office job where I worked for almost two years and most of the people every single time they saw my face would say the same whatever couple words of just like it's like more of an obligation at that point rather than right and it's not it's a not, greeting it's like, not nice like it is such a burden that every time I have to stop what I'm doing to do the mandatory script exchange and Ah. there were several people who 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 weren't necessary leadership where i said you seem like a cool person i would like to get to know you or not um so so please don't do this to me anymore when you see my face you can either be weird or not talk to me at all or we can like do a head nod or something like let's please not participate in this and i had that relationship with at least five people at work where that was established after some point and what a relief that was to not have to say the same yeah but if you didn't have if you bullshit. didn't have that same automated bullshit you wouldn't have any conversation so it's just as i said it's i would key. way rather not have any conversation every single day for every time i but saw you didn't, people you like didn't, my boss it was mandatory it to say the bullshit yeah. call and response but, but script yeah. so what, what's your alternative not uh, don't talk to me or right so you're just a cold distant person that that nobody wants I to talk wish. to no oh my god yeah right my number one like thing that people would say oh, about me how nice those genuine I am. relationships started with hey how you doing well none of those oh i mean no a lot of people opted out of that but most I because would say, you asked be opted out of talking to me entirely because i was like here's an option you don't need to participate in the script we don't need to have anything we can have a head nod to say like i see that you're another human in my physical space i would have liked right. to have captured this moment right. that's very that, that, that's reaction. very unusual jen i mean it's i applaud it it's like you get in an elevator you're not gonna go um so i'm so sorry about your uncle who are, who are you it's <laughs> uh, funny it's like you're getting into the elevator and be like listen we're not going to talk about the weather. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear about how cold it is. God, I just I came from out there as well. Yeah. I mean, I think this is half of Trevor's boil. A ham is, uh, you know, of being like, hey, stranger, we don't need to say the same bullshit. I'm going to leave you with an impression. And you're going to be like, what the hell is that guy talking about? But my day is a little bit better because this handsome guy said something strange that's gonna give me a moment i have to say i think i i think i'd rather get into an elevator and have somebody be like don't you dare tell me about the weather (laughs) that would would be something that would leave a a mark yeah i think that would make my day better if if they said more than oh yeah it's definitely cold like thanks for sharing right i think the thing of it of being a force into an, a disingenuine role is what's so hard for me. That was really hard for me in the workplace, but it's even hard in elevator situations. Where but some people, I would say your father included, he's so it natural feels, with it. It's yeah, not it's so disingenuine. not disingenuine. I don't know. It's an interesting. Uh... Is that just extroverted people? 
perhaps. Well, I'm extrovert, but there's also the, there's a base to that, and that is that, I mean, so I where I have a hard time is if somebody says nothing and doesn't even you know say hi, and you if you say hi and you're walking past them, it's like what? So that's my <laughs> that's that's my baggage, you know. Like, yeah. I don't think you know, I'm... they could legitimately go. You know, I don't give a shit. I'm never going to see you again. I'm just walking past you in the hall, just because you nodded and said hi doesn't mean I have to. Oh, okay, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just seems there, that there's that there is room, particularly as I mean, I mean, think about this, and then we'll end so I can have dinner. But connecting to other human beings is. I think even more important and because I think people are distracted. I think, you know, I, I fall prey to it. You know, we, we, our, our minds are addicted to the stupid phone and to all this stuff and just to engage, just to give a smile to somebody, just to say hello. Sometimes it's really important part of humanity. I wouldn't say any of that small talk either. I love smiling at people and, doing things to say i acknowledge you're another human in my presence and to not force them into any role right so i think the thing that that people should say to you is so what did you think about the eagles game on sunday that was a joke i don't watch sports (laughs) how do you know i'm from philadelphia that's really weird what do you know about me (laughs) that would be if it was in philadelphia and it was sunday anyway let's go all right well dad Thank you for delaying. It's been our pleasure. Delaying your dinner and answering our. I was only kidding. I'm that hungry. Oh, okay, you just. <laughs> I want to get these teenagers. damn questions over with soon. If you want to, if you want to give a quick uh, promo about your upcoming novel. <laughs> My upcoming novel. Uh, yeah, three years from now, if I'm lucky. <laughs> we'll have you back on the podcast when it's gonna when it's gonna drop. But it is interesting that I am not telling anything about it Ooh, because build the Exactly. Okay. Well, follow Dad on Instagram at mango blue underscore Kev. And is there anything else you want to recommend to people of your own stuff or other people's stuff that you think would be uh, good to check out? Yeah, listen to Van Morrison. What else is it? <laughs> All right, bye, Dad. Nice